Welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Children who are normally dismissed at this time through fifth grade, I believe, if you could come forward for just a second and join me up here. Hustle, hustle. We're going to take one knee up here like a team. So let's take a knee, just one knee. There's no padding on this floor. I just found out. Take a knee. Everybody take a knee. Wow. I need you guys here. I need you guys to kind of swing out this way and make it look like an amoeba coming through here, even though it won't be a circle. <laughs> just take a knee. Yeah, right there is fine. There's no, there's no wrong place to take a knee. All right. So this is what we used to do when I coached football. We get the team up together. All right, we'd get down on a knee and we'd have a big pep talk. So I want to take a couple minutes and just have a little pep talk with you guys. I want one of you to tell a story of when you were going somewhere, maybe for the first time, doctor, first day of school, uh, first time that you were going to a new team and you felt nervous or you felt scared or you felt anxious about going into that situation. Does anybody remember a time where you were doing that? Oh, really? You had to go to a new school? And was it kind of nerve-wracking to go up there the first time? So how did you deal with that? So this is, he's talking about the first time he went to his new school because of COVID. So what did you do with that? How did you handle that? I took a few deep breaths and I said, I can do this. Okay, took a few deep breaths and said he could do this. Well, there's different ways to handle those situations. I get those situations. I'm a little bit older than most of you. <laughs> Just a couple years. And, uh, but I still have times where I'm going places and I'll think to myself, I'm nervous about this. You know what I do in that time? I think to myself, I hope Julie's going with me because if Julie's coming with me, then I don't want as nervous. I want someone to be with me when I go into these new situations. So sometimes at school with your new team or with your walking into the doctor for the first time, maybe it helps. Maybe you've seen this before where if your mom goes, or your dad goes, or one of your grandparents goes with you, or one of your brothers go, it makes a difference to have somebody with you when you go out into these scary situations. That's how I feel sometimes when I'm going somewhere. If Julie's with me, then it's not quite so scary. So, you know how when it comes to this time of the service every week, this time of dismissal, it's kind of funny, I'm the only one left on one knee. But anyway, that's fine. When it comes to the dismissal of this time, remember I say, or somebody up front will always say, the Lord be with you. And what do you say? Mags, we don't need all that detail, please. Seriously. <laughs> she said, and also with you, but there's not a lot of people. So no one can ever hear us actually say it. All right. Really. So, so. Remember we say, the, I, I or someone says, the Lord be with you, and you say, and also with you. So let's try it again just a little bit. Everyone turn the volume up just a little bit. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Okay, so let's think about what we're saying there. The person up front is saying to all of you who are so important in our church, so valuable to our congregation, all these grown-ups here, we couldn't be who we wanted to be as a church if you weren't here with us. And when you stand up and someone up front says, the Lord be with you, 
And then you say, and also with you, think of what we're saying. What I'm saying to you is, as you leave, as you go to your class, and beyond that, as you go out into life, and you go into school, and you go out and grow up, and you go be with your friends and on your teams, may the Lord be with you. May he go with you as a companion. May he be like your mom or your dad or your grandparent when you walk into a scary situation that you would know that he is with you. Or for me, may God be like Julie, where I know he's with me so I can do this, right? And then you say back to me, and also with you. It's a really important thing. I'm saying to you, may God be with you, your companion and friend. And you're saying to me and to the rest of us, and also with you. So you have this really important role of reminding us every single week when someone says, the Lord be with you, and then you say, and also with you, you're telling all these big people in this room, you're saying, and don't forget that he's also with you. So everybody put your hand out like this. We won't touch, but this is what we used to do in football. We're going to break the huddle now, and I'm going to say it, and you respond with verve and alacrity. I mean with enthusiasm. Okay, ready? Here we go. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Very good. Go to your classes. Good job. Well, it seems to me there are occasions in life that uh, usher in, occasions and events in life that usher in a permanent change for the good or Sometimes they usher in a new season of opportunity and a new season of possibility. And these occasions and these events are reasons for us to celebrate. And we need celebration and we need joy today, like on May 23rd, maybe like never before in some of our lifetimes. As Solomon's once said, and then the musical group, The Birds, made famous... There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And after 14 months of COVID, I think most of us are probably ready for a season of laughing. And at least for some of you, maybe a season of dancing. Not because the world is perfect now, by no means. The recent conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians reminds us of how fractured and fragile this world actually is and how families and children, just like these children that were gathered here, how their lives get destroyed by war. We're reminded of that recently. India is right now being ravaged by COVID and many people are dying every day. But even in the midst of difficult circumstances in our world, or personal trials we may be facing in our lives, there just have to be times in this life when we look straight into the eyes of difficulty and despair and we refuse to let them rob us of our joy or crush our hope. There have to be times in this life when Christian people choose celebration and joy even as we are standing toe-to-toe with trouble. Because... Celebration is a statement of faith. Celebration declares that we believe in something bigger than whatever is standing right in front of us. Celebration is an act of faith, however faint or frail our faith may be. 
Celebration is a way that we announce, I still believe God is good. I still believe God brings life and hope and peace. I believe in what God is doing in me, and I believe in what God is doing in this world, and I choose to cling to him and celebrate his bigger plan and purpose. And for the past 14 months, countless life celebrations have been put on hold, as you know and I'm sure you have experienced. So what I would suggest to you on this 23rd day of May, and in what seems to be, we don't want to speak too soon, But what seems to be the loosening of COVID's grip, at least in our country, I would suggest to you that today and this season is a time to celebrate and rejoice. Graduation season is upon us, as you know, and graduations are so important to celebrate. No matter what might happen in the future, the accomplishment of graduation is something to celebrate, especially after so many months of Zoom school. And especially... After so many months where your parents doubled as your teacher. Tonight at Youth Group, our graduates from our high school and middle school will be celebrating. It is a good thing to celebrate an event like a graduation. A new child is a reason to celebrate. One of my favorite moments of the past 14 months without any exception was last Sunday with the five families who came to dedicate their six children. I've been thinking about this all week long. It's come back to me all week, how fun that was, how joyous that was, the laughter that was involved in that, the way the kingdom is just manifested routinely and easily through our children. The parents who stood here and made a promise, a dedication before God and us that they would do their best to raise their children in the way of Christ and the way that we stood as a local church, a congregation, and we committed ourselves to these parents and to these children that we would help. It was an absolutely beautiful celebration. Baptism is an occasion, an event for us to celebrate and rejoice. We've had 14 months where it's been difficult to gather in each other's homes or in small groups or around at a coffee shop or around a pub table, or even it's been difficult to gather here, as you know. And yet God in his goodness has been doing his work. He's been cultivating his resurrection life and his new character in people. And today, very soon, we will go out these doors, we'll go over to the outdoor stage underneath which is a spa and we will baptize nine people in the name of the Holy Trinity. And I just want to say to you as a local Christian church that that is a time of fun and celebration and joy for what God has done in the lives of these people. Last Sunday night, Julie and I attended the dedication of Powerhouse's new facility for women and children. And it was an absolutely amazing evening. Many of you know Kevin Houck. I don't know if Kevin is actually here. Is he here? He may not be. But many of you know Kevin. Kevin is one of the pastors at Powerhouse, and he's done an incredible job of ministering to women whose lives have collapsed, helping them find new life in Christ, helping them in the language of our series we've been in, put on the new clothing of the kingdom. Julie and I spent 30 minutes last Sunday night, talking with one of the women who is currently in the program, and it was absolutely a sacred conversation. 
She's working to turn her life around and surrender it to Jesus so she and her young son can have a hope and a future filled with goodness and joy. And you know something? All the typical nonsense and the bickering and the things we think are so important and the chronic self-centeredness that so often fills my mind and maybe yours, shapes my attitude and maybe yours, fades away when you listen to someone whose every day has been worse than your worst day. And to see this woman and so many others like her walk this new way toward new life in Jesus is cause for nothing less than celebration and joy. When Jesus was on the earth in the flesh, he could not be in two places at one time. But 50 days after his resurrection and 10 days after he had ascended back to his father, the Holy Spirit came upon the first disciples and a fresh work of God began in them and began through them and began in the world. The day of Pentecost was the beginning of a new season of opportunity and possibility and power. The presence and power of God was unleashed in ways it had never been before. And the disciples, all of them, began to genuinely change slowly and over time from the inside. And the church was born on that first Pentecost. And this new community of people called the church displayed a life and a character and a joy and a power that other people wanted to experience. And for the last 2,000 years, the story has continued to unfold. So Pentecost is a day to celebrate and rejoice because a brand new season where God was at work in a fresh way started on that day. Acts 2 describes the scene. It was read earlier. There was a large crowd of God-fearing Jews gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate what was called the Feast of Weeks, which was a feast that commemorated two things. It commemorated the giving of the law to the people of God or God's guidance of them, and it also commemorated the wheat harvest, God's provision for them. So the Feast of Weeks was one of the three pilgrimage feasts celebrated by the people of Israel, meaning whomever could would make the journey to Jerusalem to celebrate with food, with drink, with laughter, with worship, all in honor of God's presence and provision for his people. Luke says in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus' disciples were gathered in a house. Now, I'm sure they were not in a very celebratory mood. Uncertainty and fear for sure, but I doubt much celebration. When suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, the Spirit came and filled the place where they were. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire resting on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different languages. So the Spirit filled the place, and then the Spirit filled each of them. And Luke uses imagery that was well known to any God-fearing Jew. In the Old Testament, the presence of God was described as wind, or literally the breath of God. It was also described as fire. Remember Moses at the burning bush, a bush that would burn but would not be consumed. Or the pillar of fire that protected the Israelites when their backs were against the Red Sea and the Egyptians were bearing down on them. Wind and fire 
God is present. And at Pentecost, his spirit fills the whole house and fills each disciple in the house and a fresh work of God begins through his people and through his church. Well, today we finish our Easter Tide series we've been calling A Radiant Life. And we're going to do so by celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit and his work that he is doing in us so we put on the new clothes of love, as Paul puts it. Love is the last character quality Paul mentions in this great passions passage from Colossians chapter 3. And love is the most important quality of all in this list Paul mentions. So I'd like to ask you to stand for a second for our scripture reading. It's the same it has been throughout this series. And we're going to try to tie Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit with this idea of putting on love. So Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14, and in the spirit of Pentecost, let's read this out loud together. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, if you've been around, you know that throughout Eastertide, we've been talking about putting on the new self, the new clothes of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And then Paul finishes by saying, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Each of the virtues we have talked about for the past several weeks has to do with how we relate to other people, how we relate to each other, how we relate to the people in our lives, in our families, and how we relate to others in the world. But it really centers on and focuses on how we as a community of Christ followers relate to each other. Paul is writing to a diverse group of people who have different pasts and different perspectives. Jews and Gentiles are in the church, slaves and free, male and female, rich and poor, young and old, people who are different and yet have some measure of faith in Jesus and are now part of his church. They are members of God's family. And Paul is saying, this is how people of the kingdom relate to each other. This is how we do it in the kingdom of God. We do it with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. Now, it is widely accepted that the most important virtue in the entire Bible is love. Love is the all-encompassing moral principle, which means without love, there is no genuine biblical morality. There are only lists of rules and deadweight obligations. Without love, then, compassion, kindness, and humility, and all the rest, are merely attempts to do good in the moment. But without love, these virtues, as we all know from experience, will not be sustained. So here and elsewhere, Paul elevates love above all the other virtues. So love, agape, this commitment to the other and what is best for them, is the defining marker of the new community known as the church. 
Now, we don't have time to go into all this, but love is not a flowery or fluffy, oh, sure, whatever works for you, that's fine, kind of perspective. That is not love. Love is a genuine desire for the good of the other and a willingness on our part to do this good, to demonstrate love for the good of the other. And sometimes, as we all know, what is best for the other is not flowery at all. It's not fluffy at all. It's not easy. Sometimes what is best for the other, love, is actually difficult and challenging and at times confrontive. The people of, God are to have, people of God are to have a genuine love for one another, a commitment to do what is best for each other. So obviously, given what love is, love is bound at times to be messy. And it is often, if not always, hard work. But this you-first mindset, that's what love is. This you-first mindset, this sacrificial love, Paul says, binds together a church filled with different people. And Paul says, love binds the virtues of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience into a unified character. N.T. Wright says, love is the belt that holds all the other new clothes of the kingdom in place. Love, then, is the overall way we are to relate to other people. And Jesus is the supreme example of this love, the supreme example of self-giving, of sacrifice for the good of the other, of other-centeredness. Now, the word binds in Colossians 3 14, that this love binds all together in perfect unity. This word binds means ties or fastens, fastens together. It connects distinct and different things into a unified whole. And this is what Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17, that we, his people, would be unified as God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are unified. Because maturity in this kind of oneness or unity gives evidence to a watching world that God actually did send Jesus and that God actually does love the world because it's being made manifest in that group of people over there. In other words, unity makes all of this real. Unity is the way that words get put into action and love is the thing that is needed to bind us together. My mom used to make a really good meatloaf. Now, meatloaf, as I've come to learn, is a Midwest thing. Uh, I don't think there's too much meatloaf out here. I don't hear a lot about meatloaf being served as a snack at a winery. It just doesn't happen that often. Here, would you like some meatloaf to sip that wine with? One of my mom's recipe books that we have is called Utterly... Delicious recipes is written in Wisconsin, utterly. <laughs> Little Wisconsin cow humor for you on Pentecost. Taped on the inside cover of this book is her meatloaf recipe. Here it is. Two pounds of ground round steak, one and a half cups of breadcrumbs, three-quarter cup of ketchup, one teaspoon of accent, whatever in the world that is, one half cup of warm water, one package of Lipton's onion Sioux mix, soup mix, mix it all together into a loaf and put it in the oven for an hour or so. 
But if you just put all those ingredients in a bowl and mix them together, you will not get my mom's meatloaf. You have most of the ingredients in her meatloaf. But what's missing is the thing that binds those different ingredients together so they combine into a tasty meatloaf. And that ingredient is two eggs. The eggs are the binding agent. They turn ingredients into a meatloaf. Well, love is the binding agent in the new community of God's people. Love turns individuals into a church. Love holds us together, even though we're different. Look around, we're different. Love holds us together, even though sometimes we disagree. Love holds us together, even though sometimes the thought process is, what on earth are they thinking over there? Now, you may be wondering, well, if this is what love is and unity is supposed to be the thing, why are there so many churches in this town? Shouldn't we all be unified? Shouldn't there be a church of Folsom? Yes, there should be. Shouldn't there just be one church where all the followers of Jesus come together? Yes, there should be. This is something that we talk about in our pastor's meetings every couple of weeks. It comes up all the time. Not that we're going to just, you know, all get together and merge. It'd be too complicated and... You know, there'd be messes galore. But the idea, the vision, the picture, if love really were to prevail, it would bind us together and make a unified whole. All these ingredients like this, individuals in one church, churches in a community would be bound together by love and there would be unity. When love is not in the recipe, here's what happens. We are merely a group of individuals who happen, for whatever reason, to participate in the same church. But we're not a unified whole. Church becomes a product when love is not in the mix. This is really a profound teaching Paul is giving. Love is a commitment to do what is best for others. God has loved me, Mike, not because of anything I've done to earn it. In fact, I've done a ton of things to not warrant it. And now in his wisdom and grace, he has crossed our paths, yours and mine, in this church. And you can say the very same thing. So here's the thing. This is the invitation. This is the calling. So now because I have received this incredible undeserved love from God and my path has crossed with your path in this church, now I choose to love you, commit to you, be in it with you, walk the road with you, stay in it with you. See, love binds us together. And what happens if the breadcrumbs say, Forget this. I don't want to be in this meatloaf. I'm leaving. Little breadcrumbs walking across the counter, leaving. You don't have a meatloaf anymore. Love binds us together. And to what Paul's saying, love provides the ongoing motivation to be compassionate, kind, gentle, forgiving. Why? Because I've chosen to love you. 
Listen to how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, familiar passage to many of you, verses 4 through 8. And hear how similar this passage is to that Colossians 3 passage, except for one word. Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And again, Jesus is the prime example of this kind of love and self-sacrifice, laying down his life for the sake of others, showing the way to real life. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, let me wrap this up. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now we've got to notice something here. These words are being spoken to a group of people who, the day that Jesus was arrested, all but one of them ran to protect themselves. They all hid. None of them wanted to face what they might face except the Apostle John. All the rest of them, all the others, they took off to keep themselves safe. And now Jesus is saying to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And here's the phrase, and you'll be my witnesses. The actual word underneath that is martyr. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, next county up, and in Samaria, the county after that, and all the way around the Mediterranean Sea to the very ends of the earth. So we go from people who moments ago, days ago, were running for cover at the first sign of trouble, who are now going to walk out into the streets of Jerusalem and testify to who Jesus is and to the love that God has for this world? Now I say this, in this world, at this time, in the midst of unceasing political and social strife, I would suggest to you, we witness to the reality of God when we go out into the streets of our Jerusalem and proclaim God's love in word, but most especially in action. We witness to his existence when this love that we have put on, that he has given us, we witness to his existence and to his goodness when we go out and put on love in this world. I was in Arizona the past couple of weeks helping my dad. And while I was there, one of the days I was waiting outside of the hospital. I had gone on a bit of a walk and I was waiting out there. My dad was in the hospital. And I was sitting outside of a bench just outside of this hospital, lost in my thoughts per usual, stuck in my head per usual, daydreaming as the world walked by me per usual. And then I saw an elderly woman standing sort of near the parking lot looking for her car. And then she went back in and told this nurse, I can't find my car. And she came back out and she was standing there looking for her car. And this nurse came out and this nurse said, I'll help you find your car. But first I have to check these people into the hospital. Now, this elderly woman, I kid you not, was about four foot 11. 
and she weighed at least five pounds less than my forearm. She was a tiny little elderly woman. All these thoughts, as I sat on that bench, started to swirl. I watched the nurse come out. I watched this woman looking for a car. I saw how vulnerable she was. I had all these thoughts in my head. You know, you should do something, but you're an idiot and you won't. She needs help. And then this other thought, ah, someone will help her. I was dressed that day in black shorts, about 100 degrees out. I had black shorts on, a black long sleeve shirt, a black hat, and dark sunglasses. I looked like a made man in the mafia. So I thought to myself, if I walk up to her, 4'11", weighs less than my forearm, I'm going to scare the daylights out of her. Can you imagine? Oh, I'll help you find your car. Sure you will. And I'll never see my car again. Again, that thought, you should help, but you're an idiot, so you're not going to help. Finally, her vulnerable presence, as she looked out at this parking lot, kind of standing there at four foot eleven, it was too much for me to just sit there and do nothing. So I went up to her and I offered to go find her car. She had this sweet look in her eyes when I talked to her. And it was pretty clear to me, like right away, that this woman was mostly alone in this big world. I imagined most of her, her dear ones lived far, far away, or probably most of her dear ones were dead. She looked at me a tad suspiciously. I'm not sure why. It's actually wise of her. But then she handed me her, you know, the clicker thing for her car. And I started running around the parking lot, pushing lock, hoping to hear the horn go off. Now, this might sound silly to you. But the minute I took that thing from her and kind of went looking for the car, I really felt alive doing this for her. Like nothing else mattered in that moment except that frail, four foot eleven, seven pound elderly woman. I felt like nothing else mattered. Like this was the most important thing that I've done in months. And finally, off in the corner of the lot, I heard the horn sound. And I found the car. So I ran back and I told her, hey, I found it, but it's really far over there. Oh, okay, well, I'll go get it. I said, you know, I'd be happy to drive this up to the entrance so you don't have to walk. And she agreed. So I ran back to the car. I opened it up. I kid you not. Here's the wheel. Here's the seat. <laughs> Thinking a hobbit couldn't get in this car. So I backed it up. I thought, I better remember where that was. I got in. I drove it up to the front of the thing. And when I got out of the car, I said, I had to move the seat. I pushed it back up. And she walks up to me and she looks at me and she says, you're a saint. And I looked right back at her and I said, I am far from a saint. But I'm really glad I could help. And she got in the car and somehow, I still don't know how, could see over the dashboard and she drove away. <laughs> Now, I tell you all kinds of stories, most of which are, don't make me out to be such a great dude, because I'm not a great dude. But that was a moment where things converged, and this thought, this tether in me that says, no, if Julie was here, she could go do it. But I finally thought, you know what? This vulnerable woman, and you know what she needs? She needs an act of love. I don't need to beat her up over the head with the Bible. I don't need to say, you know, you know what prompted me to do this is Jesus. I don't need to do that. <laughs> Just need 
to show her love. Manifest love. And I felt like I demonstrated God's love in that simple act. And it felt like it matters more than most of the things I do every single day. Something about loving others. Loving them with action. Stepping beyond all the noise in our heads. Extending ourselves to others. Reaching out, being present to what God is doing right smack in the middle of the Jerusalem where he has placed you. Loving those who just zigzag in and out of our lives throughout the mundane moments of a given day and remembering this little four foot eleven, seven pound elderly woman is an eternal being who is going to live forever with God or without Him. And we are right with them right now with a chance to display His goodness or in the language of the Apostle Paul, to put on the new clothes of love, to lay down our fears, our shame, our agenda, our anxiety, all for their good and for their sake. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, you have left us with such a stunning and brilliant example of sacrificial, other-centered, poured out, you-first love. And we pray that your Holy Spirit that you have imparted to those who follow you, who lives in us, we pray for his empowerment in this fractured world, in this broken world, in this divided world, in this world of hatred and war and conflict and tension. We pray that we might be ambassadors of your unconditional Agape love. That we might individually, but even more importantly, as a church community, that we might continue to learn how to demonstrate this love, to be this way toward one another, and in so doing, proclaim the goodness of your kingdom and the reality of Jesus our Savior. And we pray all this in his name.